Welcome to chapel. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 17. And so... Brothers and sisters... I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but rather as people of the flesh. As infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, because you were not ready for solid food. Even now you are still not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For as long as there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not of the flesh, behaving according to human inclinations? For when one says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Apollos, are you not merely human? What then is Apollos? What then is Paul? Well, servants through whom he came to believe as the Lord assigned to each. I planted. And Apollos watered. But God gave the growth. So neither the one who plants or the one who waters is anything. But only God who gives the growth. The one who plants and the one who waters have a common purpose. And each will receive wages according to the labor of each. For we are God's servants, working together. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And someone else is building on it. Each builder must choose with care how to build on it. For, For no, no one, one can, can lay any foundation other than, than the one that, that has been laid. That, that foundation is Jesus Christ. Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones... Or wood, hay, or straw... The work of each builder will become visible, for the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test what sort of work has been done. If what has been built on the foundation survives, the builder will receive a reward. If the work is burned up, the builder will suffer loss. The builder will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is holy. And you are that temple. You can take your hymn books and turn to page 567. Stand, and we'll sing song 567, How Firm a Foundation. We'll sing the first two and last two verses.
I'm Talasha Kaim-Yoder, and some of you know me from the work I've done here at the college in the music and theater departments, directing and choreographing. Recently, I've gotten to work with some Goshen College talent on the piece play Baby Boom, and currently in the upcoming opera, The Marriage of Figaro. This morning, I get the privilege of introducing the speaker, because he's my dad. Dr. Howard Kaim hails originally from the tiny town of Pigeon, Michigan. And from his upbringing on the farm, he went on to graduate from Heston College, soon after marrying Tammy Berkey, whom he met while a camper at Camp Amigo. Other little-known facts about Dad are that he loves to garden. He's a subscriber to Mother Earth News. He acted in college with Jeff Daniels and Terry O'Quinn. He, ordered a special or, he special ordered a one-speed, old-fashioned bicycle for his trips around town. And his favorite places to think are Barnes & Noble, Panera, Krispy Kreme, and theaters. Dad's bachelor's in theater and master's in public communication were both earned at Central Michigan University. And his doctorate in rhetoric and organizational communication is from the University of Kansas. He has served as a pastor, a professor of communications and of pastoral ministries, and the academic dean of Tabor College, and is currently in his second year of serving as the president of Heston College. Dad? Thank you. I do bring you greetings from Heston College. And in the name of Jesus, welcome all of you today. And I pray that this time will be a good time for you, an enriching time. I understand that this is sacred space. A lot of wonderful things happen here in this space, both uh, for the congregation at College Mennonite and you here at Goshen College. I have a lot of connections here, uh, too many to mention. Uh, my good friend, uh, Furman Gingrich, uh, that I learned to know uh, in Iowa, who is pastor here at Goshen College Mennonite. Uh, John Blosser, Shar Hostetler, who serve on the faculty and staff here that I was a colleague with at Heston College. John Yorty, who became a friend and mentor to me as I began the presidency at Heston College and who spoke at our commencement last spring. And learning to know your president, uh, Dr. Jim Brenneman, and it was a wonderful privilege to attend his inauguration service here a few weeks ago. And another connection that uh, goes back a long way but is, uh, has kind of come full circle and is a wonderful uh, privilege for me, and that is Roy Umble taught here for many years in the theater department, largely through his efforts that the theater now that we have here was built and uh, named for his father, and uh, Roy was a good friend of mine, although I never had a class from him, uh, was never directed by him in a show, uh, but a, a good friend. And, and so now uh, my daughter uh, gets to direct in the space that uh, Roy Umble uh, worked so many years to bring into being. That's a, it's a wonderful uh, kind of experience for me. At Heston College, we've chosen the theme of No Other Foundation for this year and using this text. We've used it on a retreat at our administrative council, at our faculty staff retreat, on opening weekend, and many other uh, occasions. It's taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 11, 
near the beginning of this letter that Paul wrote to this church at Corinth. It's a famous uh, Anabaptist text, one of Menno Simons' favorites, and often when you see Menno Simons, you'll see this text uh, very close to his name. If you visit his memorial uh, in the Netherlands, uh, you will see uh, this text uh, uh, at that place. Now, Paul was writing to the Corinthians, and this was a church that had its challenges. It was located in a Greek city, strategically located for trade. It's on a narrow peninsula. It's got a port both to the east and to the west. And people from all over the known world came through Corinth. It was a multicultural city. It's a place of commerce, a place of ideas, a place of trends. I suppose like people now go to New York to get their fashions, people would have gone to Corinth to get their fashions at that point. From a strategic standpoint, it made sense for the leaders of this new Christian movement to start a church in this city. But it also had its challenges. It was a wealthy city. It had a population of 250,000. That was the population. But those, those people, those 250,000 people, owned 400,000 slaves. So a wealthy minority oppressed a poor majority. And it was a city of many deities or gods, god of healing, god of war, god of nature, goddess of love. In fact, there was a temple devoted to the goddess of love where at one time about 1,000 sacred prostitutes served, plying their trade with the proceeds going to the temple. So it was known as a city also of immorality. And actually there was a Greek word that meant to Corinthianize and it became a verb meaning to practice sexual immorality. So Paul writes to this church in, in this strategic city, and the author, Paul, had been a persecutor of Christians, and you might know his story. He hunted them down, he arrested them, he became a Christian after being struck blind on his way to Damascus in Syria. It took some years for him to earn the trust of the original apostles, and then he began to plant new churches all around the Mediterranean Sea. You'll find the story of his work in Corinth in Acts chapter 18. He started by trying to reason with Jews in the synagogue, and then the Jews became hostile. He went next door to a home where both the synagogue ruler and an influential Greek, a synagogue ruler and an influential Greek were converted, and after that, many people were baptized, and he stayed in Corinth for over a year and a half. So the founders of this church came from these two very different cultures, very different ways of looking at the world. But now, several years later, Paul's writing back because he's heard that the Corinthians had some serious issues to address. Things like sexual immorality, you might expect that in Corinth, worship practices, divisions, and even legal issues, people taking each other to, to court in the church. And against this backdrop of the culture of Corinth and the situation of this young group of Christians, Paul takes the first three chapters of this book to establish the most basic idea. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. Jesus Christ is the foundation. Not a culture, not a leader, not a style of worship, not a program, not an approach. Jesus is the foundation. 
And he reinforces this idea in at least three ways. And there are more if you read the first three chapters, but I'm picking out at least three. In chapter 1, Paul acknowledges the difficulty of coming to terms with Jesus for both Jews and Greeks. He knows it firsthand because he debated with both groups for months. Now it came down to this. The Jews needed miraculous signs. He talks about this in chapter 1, verses 20 to 25. The Jews needed miraculous signs, and the Greeks needed wisdom. The Jews came from this history of signs. You know the stories of of the children of Israel, Abraham and, and Isaac, and God staying the hand of Abraham before he killed his son Isaac on the altar, Moses parting the Red Sea, a pillar of cloud, water from the rock, Elijah lighting the fire on Mount Carmel. All of these things were seen as signs of of God. And so if a person did not pull off some epic supernatural sign, how could they even be considered as the Messiah? And the Greeks were at the other end of the spectrum. They were steeped in a tradition of philosophy. This was the tradition of Socrates and Plato and Aristotle and many of these people that that we continue to study today. What they taught is still foundational in in most Western cultures. So even if you take something as elementary as a speech class, a public speaking class, you learn these things about ethos, pathos, logos. They come from Aristotle, 300 years before Christ. That's the tradition of of these Greeks. And Paul did not offer miracles. And he did not offer a philosophical system. He offered Jesus Christ crucified, a holy life, the Sermon on the Mount, rejected by his own people, crucified by an occupying power, risen from the dead and seen by his disciples. That's it. That's what he offered. And so the Jews, according to chapter 1 and chapter 3, The Jews tripped over it. They they couldn't get past it. And the Greeks just found it outright amusing. Where's the philosophy here? Where's the wisdom here? There's nothing to offer. But Paul says, those that did accept this Christ, to them he became power, and to them he became wisdom. There's power and there is wisdom in Jesus, but not the power the Jews demanded and not the wisdom that the Greeks sought. Jesus was above cultural expectations or beyond them. He was more than the boxes of these cultures can contain, more than signs for the Jews, more than systems or classifications for the Greeks. So number one for us is this. Jesus is our foundation, and Jesus is more than our culture. And to understand this, we must learn to know, and we must learn to appreciate, and we must learn to critique our own cultural assumptions. And what better place to do this than at a place like Goshen College? This place includes a variety of cultural groups within the United States and from outside the United States. And so how we spend time together, how we interact with each other, how we learn to know how we approach God, how we learn to know know how we approach creation, all of these things will help us to understand each other better and ourselves better. And that, in turn, will help us to understand our own assumptions and how those assumptions might limit 
what we place on Jesus. So, for example, I'm not here to bash the United States, but I find nowhere in Scripture an endorsement of Democrats or Republicans, or even democracy, or even the free market as the basis of the economy, or competition as the best producer of quality, or even meat and potatoes as the best food. But it's my culture. These are the things that I live with. I find them good, and I've been shaped by them. I live in it every day. I'm so steeped in it that the decisions that I make are based on these assumptions, and they're almost second nature to me. So understanding another culture, understanding a different approach, gives me a mirror by which to look at my own, and it helps me to learn. So number one, Jesus is the foundation. Know our culture, the limits it places on Jesus. The second idea is is discussed in chapter 3, and you heard it read this morning. In this group of Christians, people were attaching themselves to different personalities or different leaders. So some identified with Paul, some identified with Apollos, some with Cephas. And Paul says, now hold on here. What are you doing? What's Paul? What's Apollos? What's Cephas? Just people. You cannot build a church on Paul or Apollos. The foundation is Jesus. So just as we need to understand the limits our cultures place on understanding, we need to understand the limits that any one person places on our understanding of Jesus. Now I have heroes, and I'm thankful for my heroes. The pastor of my home church, role models from Heston College and other places, people like Jim Yoder, Clayton Byler, John Lederach, Don Boyleau from Central Michigan University, role models beyond the college like Evelyn Rauner, my dear friend and mentor. All of them have taught me something valuable about Jesus. Evelyn said, for example, that you, you read with a textbook in one hand and the New Testament in the other. And you make sure that you read the New Testament more often. But all of these people, much as they have taught me, none of them is Jesus. And so here, learn to know your professors. Learn to know your your staff members. Learn to know your student life personnel. Some of them will become heroes to you. Some of them will become mentors to you. But none of them are Jesus. And keep them straight. So number two. Jesus is the foundation. Learn from the people around you. But beware of attaching yourself too closely to a person. Now the third idea. It's addressed just following 3.11, and you heard it read again this morning. Because Jesus is the foundation, we should use the best material available and do our best work. What we do will be tested, and the quality of our workmanship will be shown. Jesus is more than a sign and more than a philosophical system. He's Savior of the world. Our identification with Jesus means that we join that work of telling the story, of giving hope to the discouraged, healing to the sick, rest to the weary, bread to the hungry, grace and forgiveness to the sinner. And so in our classes and in all that we do, in the late night conversations, We bring our best. We do the hard work of research. We write and rewrite the paper, not only for the paper's sake, but because we are bringing our best 
and doing our best because we are preparing for another future. For those of us that work at Heston College and for those who work here at Goshen College, the students are our work. We're here because Jesus is our foundation. We identify with that mission to the world and we believe that students now and in the future are helping to change the world. So when you're a parent, you're building on Jesus as your foundation. When you practice medicine or conduct research or build buildings or raise food or create art or lead churches or organizations or manufacture goods or teach children or fly airplanes or develop software, you will be in some way changing the world, identifying with the mission of Jesus, a better person for having been here. It's, it's more than just about me. It's more than just about you. In chapter uh, 3, verse 16, Paul says that we are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in us. And so number three, do our very best because Jesus is the foundation. And now, uh, over all this, over learning to understand and critique our culture over being careful about our attaching ourselves too closely to one person and even over doing our best. Learn to know Jesus, who is the foundation. Read the Bible, especially the New Testament and especially the Gospels. Last year, I disciplined myself to read nearly every week one of the Gospels. Now, you can do this. You do have time for it. If you live in the residence hall, there's hardly ever another time in your life when someone else will prepare your food and wash your dishes for you or when you have such a small space to take care of in the residence hall. You do have time. It takes about as long to read a gospel as it does to watch a football game or play a video game. You can do it while your laundry's in or instead of taking a nap this afternoon. Think about what you read. Put it into practice as much as you understand and you won't understand it all. But as much as you understand, put it into practice. And I would suggest one more thing. One, one more thing that's been helpful to me this year. About, um, we, we were getting ready for our, uh, our administrative retreat with our group of administrators. And, and we were going to use this verse as our theme. And uh, I went out in my backyard and I found this piece of limestone and I washed it off and I brought it in. And, and as we told our stories, we took turns holding this rock, and then we put it in the middle. And, and there were different times during our discussion, we would say, now what's important here? Okay, let's go touch the rock. Okay, now this rock is in my office. It has been there. Right now it's in another vice president's office who seems to need it more than I. But it has become a kind of a, a, kind of a symbol for us. Now... I would encourage you to find something tangible. Pick up a stone, carry it in your pocket, or find a rock somewhere on this campus that becomes a touchstone for you. Find some tangible way to remind yourself that Jesus is your foundation. So in these next days, I pray that you will come to understand Jesus as the foundation of your faith and life Beware the limits of your culture, learn from everyone, but follow Jesus and do your very best. May God bless us all.
Take your hymn books and turn to page 311. And let's stand, sing page 311. We'll sing verses 1, 4, and 5. spend this time with you today and special greetings to all of those of you who have graduated from Heston College and now uh, join me for the benediction another word from the Apostle Paul taken from Ephesians chapter 3 now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine to him be power in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever amen